Hello, thank you so much for joining me. This is Jen. I'm here for the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. This is episode number episode number 15. Last episode, I talked about top-down versus bottoms-up processing. If you remember, top-down processing happens when you interpret input that you're receiving based on previous knowledge and expectations. So this is a more conscious interpretation of what you're experiencing. Bottoms-up processing occurs when you allow the input to shape your perception and your output. Both are important, and we utilize both whenever we are experiencing movement or the world or learning. I gave some examples and mentioned that music is interesting because learning how to play a musical instrument is based on both top-down processing, things like musical imagery and musical interpretation. It's also based on bottoms-up processing, the natural rhythm that is innate within music, something we recognize. When you learn a new movement, do you rely mostly on top-down or bottoms-up processing? Just think about that for a moment. And maybe the next time you're learning something new, just observe what your default is. And if you're really reliant on one, ask yourself what happens if you try to be more reliant on the other. Before we get into it today, let's go ahead and try this. With the second and third fingers of your left hand, begin tapping underneath the right collarbone. And go ahead and tap from the length of it, from that place where the collarbone meets the breastbone, all the way out to where the collarbone meets the shoulder. And go back and forth a couple of times. And then take a moment Stop tapping, pause, close your eyes. Compare the image of your right collarbone to the image of your left collarbone. Which image is more clear? Go ahead and open your eyes. For most people, it will probably be the right collarbone. Why? Because the sensory input from the tapping created a connection between that body part, which was the right collarbone, and the brain. This connection is the result of bottoms-up processing. The tapping was input. The input informed your perception of the self. Let's get into what we're talking about today. So today I'm discussing fatigue and exercise. Before we can do that, I think it's important to define fatigue. Fatigue is defined by dictionary.com as extreme tiredness resulting from mental or physical exertion or illness. In physiology, fatigue is defined as an internal homeostasis breakdown caused by an increase in energy production demanded by an external stimulus. And this comes from the paper, Central and Peripheral Fatigue in Physical Exercise Explained, a narrative review. Let's break that down a little bit. So your internal homeostasis is your balance, your natural resting place. We all have one, 
we're rarely in homeostasis during the day. When we're awake and moving and doing, we're always getting pulled away from homeostasis and then back to homeostasis. That's what our bodies are trying to do. Keep some semblance of balance. When that is altered and homeostasis can't be returned to, then that can create a thing. In this case, that thing is fatigue. Fatigue leads to a decrease in physical performance and an increase in perceived difficulty of the task. So when something that normally feels easy suddenly feels hard, you know that you've reached a fatigue threshold. This is different from feeling tired. According to Merriam-Webster, tired means drained of strength and energy. And we have all experienced this, I think, at some point where you feel tired, you don't feel energetic, and you're beginning a workout and you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be terrible, only to experience seven or eight minutes in a complete shift Suddenly, you're no longer tired. Suddenly, your energy levels are higher. Maybe you've also experienced the reverse, where you start a workout, you think you're feeling amazing, and about 10 minutes in, your energy just crashes. Completely zapped. If you've experienced any form of, if you've got, ever gotten a virus in the middle of the workday, I have. And you're feeling great, and then suddenly you're not. It's a very strange thing to feel that sudden shift. Your, your homeostasis has been altered. I recently experienced the first scenario where I was tired and kind of blah. And I went to a private pool lesson that I had scheduled. And... I know myself well enough to know that 99% of the time, once I start moving, I feel a lot better. And this was definitely the case. And she started me off doing this pretty uh, energetic form of climbing called a circus climb, where you're inverting and you climb and you invert and you climb up to the top of the pole. And by the time I got to the pole, I was feeling a whole lot better. And that was only like four minutes in. Needless to say, the rest of the session went really well. But it's funny because there was this briefest moment where I thought, you know, I could push this and do it next week instead. Why did I feel suddenly energized? Well, before I get into that, let's look at why the experience of fatigue is so multifaceted. There are two types of fatigue that affect performance. The first is CNS fatigue, and CNS fatigue is central nervous system fatigue, which is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's related to your central nervous system. It's a decreased and voluntary activation of muscles as a result of reduced drive from the motor cortex. So if you've studied neuroscience at Oh, this is a little bit nerdy and I won't go too deep into the weeds, but your motor cortex is placed in your brain that 
sends information out to your muscles and it says, do this to accomplish this task. So basically, when your brain is tired, <laughs> your ability to send that information to the muscles to say, do this, is lessened. Now, peripheral fatigue is related to the actual signaling out to the muscles. So your brain's done its job. It says, okay, information, go to muscles. That's all, that's all fine. The peripheral, peripheral fatigue refers to the decrease in contra contractile strength of the muscle fibers. This happens because the muscle's ability to transmit action potentials, which action potentials are what allow muscles to contract, that for some reason is altered. There are a number of things that influence this. There's a number of things that influence our perception of fatigue, and there are a number of things that influence actual fatigue. If any of you saw some of the press about Kiptum's most recent marathon performance, and if you don't know, Kiptum is a marathoner who recently broke the world record in Chicago. He ran a two-hour and 35-second marathon. He does very high mileage weeks. He builds up to them. He cycles up and down in terms of how much mileage he's doing. But one of the things he has been quoted as saying is that he doesn't feel tired when he runs, which is really shocking when you're on mile 24 of a marathon and you're running a four minute and 35 second mile. So one could say his fatigue threshold is higher than say mine, <laughs> like a lot higher. <laughs> this is going to be related to a number of factors. His conditioning is better. He's used to working at really high levels. He's used to working at a really high output, but there's other things involved. Some of the things that affect the perception of fatigue include personal problems, anxiety. So right there, you can say that what's going on in your life outside of what you are trying to do is going to impact how much energy you have to do it. Within that, different people I have found over the years function at higher energies just naturally. They have just a natural higher threshold for fatigue, while others operate at a, at a lower threshold for fatigue. And I think there's a lot of just individual variation within it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Again, that's just been my, that's my perception from working with a lot of people. Other things that Effect fatigue include reduced arousal activity, which would be your a decreased sympathetic nervous system response. This basically means that the part of your nervous system that's like, okay, let's go, which is actually your fight or flight response, it's dialed down for some reason. If you've are if you're a little bit sleep deprived, that's going to affect your fatigue levels. If a situation is really stressful or extreme, 
So think about, for instance, Kiptum saying that he doesn't experience tiredness when he runs. Well, when he runs, clearly he feels that is a safe situation. It's not stressful or extreme. He might feel differently if the running were because of a situation that were stressful or extreme. I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't. But our environment is going to really dictate our experience, which is kind of interesting. So let's look back to this poll example. So I get to pull. I'm tired. It's a private lesson. I've got a few. I've got a few things working in my favor. I've got support from the teacher, who I know well and I really like. I'm learning something new, so my arousal level is going to be optimized. I'm in a safe environment. There's crash mats. I know that I'm allowed to work at my own pace. I know I'm allowed to modify whenever I need to. So everything about this is going to set me up to decrease my fatigue threshold. Something else that's important to remember is when you exercise, there are hormones that are released. And these hormones do a lot of different things. One of the things they do is they suppress or delay feelings of fatigue. Generally, assuming that yourself, that your homeostasis is not off kilter. I do pull-ups on Mondays. This is a thing that I do. And it's been interesting because over the course of the last two years, like a lot of people, as I re-entered the world after COVID restrictions were lifted, I came down with COVID and the flu within a pretty short span. And I would go out to do my pull-ups thinking that I felt fine on Mondays and I would try to do the first set and I would feel very tired. I would be fatigued in a physical way that I wasn't used to. And I would think to myself, this is really strange. That was my first clue that something was off. So again, your internal environment, what's going on, if you're fighting off a bug or you have something, that is going to impact your sense, your sense of fatigue. And how these hormones interplay. So again, these hormones that are released during exercise, they suppress feelings of pain. They have this analgesic effect. They're kind of amazing. They make you feel good. They allow you to optimize your arousal. They allow you to focus, especially if there's a bit of a challenge going on. But what if you don't enjoy the form of activity that you're doing? Those hormones may not be released in the same way. And maybe this is why certain forms of exercise feel more laborious than others. If the perceived reward of the exercise is low or of the activity is low, the perception of the fatigue increases. For instance, I really like running outside, something I thoroughly enjoy. I can literally run 
for well over an hour and enjoy it and not dread it or feel anything about it other than other than this is this is something I like. I mean, sure, there's a sense of hardness and, and a sense of work, but but the activity of running outside is one that I enjoy, particularly if I have a variety of terrain and I'm on trails a little bit and I'm mentally engaged. If you put me on a treadmill, I last about 25 minutes and it feels harder than anything else that I do. I haven't tested this hypothesis in a while because I dislike treadmills so much, but <laughs> but clearly for me, the rewarding act of running has something to do with being outside. Other people feel the same way about lifting weights. They feel like it's a lot of hard work. But if you put that same person in an environment where they're lifting something else for a different purpose, it's no problem. They're lifting potting soil so they can garden. If they're lifting or moving something in their art studio that's heavy and awkward so they can paint or create, their relationship to the activity shifts. So what does this mean for you? Well, sometimes what it means is can you find a way to make the exercise or the, the, the activity that you dislike, can you find a way to reframe it so that it has some added benefit to the activity that you enjoy? Something else that's worth noting about is there's also this idea of mental fatigue. Again, I said central nervous system fatigue. When your brain is tired, it's harder to get your brain and your body on the same page. So when you think about this, again, with activities that you enjoy or, or you have some sort of perceived benefit from versus activities that you don't, there's going to be more mental effort required to do an activity you don't enjoy versus one that you do get some enjoyment from. Additionally, mental effort is exerted throughout the day. So you've got, you know, mental effort exerted because of work, personal choices, etc. So what does this mean when you take all of this, this idea of fatigue this idea of it can impact performance, it can imp impact outcomes. <clears throat> How can you remove some of the roadblocks that are caused by mental fatigue? Well, one is that you find an activity that is rewarding in some way. And sometimes it's not rewarding in the moment, but it's rewarding immediately after. I have a number of clients that tell me that yes, their time with me is work, but the reward after is so high that it makes the whole experience worth it. Something else you can try is schedule the hard things early in the day. This is why I do pull-ups on Mondays. Pull-ups, for whatever reason, are much more mentally challenging for me than chin-ups, which I do on Fridays. And I thoroughly enjoy chin-ups. Isn't that funny? Pull-ups are different. I don't look forward to them, but they support a lot of the things that I do. So I do them first thing in the morning on Mondays. I literally roll out of bed, 
walk to the garage and do a set of pull-ups. And then over the next 20 minutes, I do three to four more sets of pull-ups and then I'm done with my pull-ups for the week. This is also why a lot of people will schedule their workouts first thing in the morning because they don't they have less mental fatigue against it that way. Now, conversely, if you've got an activity that you thoroughly enjoy, it can be easy to do it after work. So it just depends on what your movement hobby is and how much resistance, how much mental effort it takes for you to do it. It, you know, within within regards to where you put it. This also can be the benefit of a coach, a trainer, a friend, or going to group classes for movement hobbies. When you're meeting someone, you've got support. And that support is often enough to get over the mental hurdle. I have a client who tells me one of the benefits of working with me is she doesn't want to let me down. She doesn't want to cancel on me. So she shows up, even if she doesn't feel like it. I also think it's really important to reassess the benefits of what you are doing regularly. Because it's okay for your hobbies and your exercise program and your movement to shift. It doesn't need to look the same day after day, month after month, year after year. Consistency does breed results, but maybe that consistency, maybe those results are no longer serving you and you're no longer enjoying what you're doing. It's all right. It's time to find something else. There are so many choices out there. Something else is worth noting when you're fatigued with regards to fatigue is no one to call it. Again, that first set of pull-ups when I felt really crummy, I gutted through, I think, three more sets on both occasions, both with COVID and both with the flu. But then I knew I that I couldn't go run, which was what I had planned to do afterwards. I'm like, there's no way. I'm going to feel terrible if I go run. So it's important that you honor yourself. If fatigue is lingering, if for some reason you can't seem to wrap your head around doing the thing, take the day off. Return to it later. If this becomes a a habitual thing, then maybe talk to your doctor or seek support from someone else. Get an outsider's opinion about what's going on. How does all of this relate to mindfulness? Well, identifying when you're fatigued is a form of mindfulness, of awareness, excuse me. And awareness, remember, this ability to observe and not judge is an aspect of mindfulness. Identifying when you're feeling fatigued during your movement practice is powerful information for staying healthy. It's also powerful for you to observe when there's a shift. It can give you, again, this can give you information. I know for me personally, I know that, again, 99% of the time I start moving, I feel more energized, I feel more focused, I feel more ready for whatever the task is at hand. So often I will move and then do the hard thing. 
because movement for me is rewarding. Even though it is a hard thing, it's not as hard as some other things that I have to do. Or sometimes it doesn't feel as hard as the other things that I have to do. So you can use this awareness regarding how you are affected, how your energy level is affected, how your mood is affected, and you can bring it into other aspects of your life. Before I lecture, for instance, I always move for five minutes. It makes the lecturing much more focused. This is just one example. What's one of yours? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I do have a couple of things coming up. I am going to be teaching at the Biomechanics Movement Summit, January 12th through 13th. And I am also going to be teaching in Amsterdam in April. So if you want more information about that, you can go ahead and hit me up. I should have it all up on the website relatively soon. I have the Las Vegas stuff up, but the Amsterdam stuff I should have up relatively soon. All right. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Thank you.